Hello everyone and welcome to another SECPA session. SECPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people and Métis nations of Alberta Region 3 and we pay respect to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationship to the land. Today I'd like to welcome with us uh, Connie Marie Reedhubler. Thank you very much for joining us Connie. Um, Connie Marie is the Keep in Touch Senior Coordinator with Volunteer Leftbridge. The majority of her career and personal journey has centered around supporting and caring for aging seniors, building healthy families, workplaces and communities. Connie Marie is a transition specialist, life designer, author and presenter and has trained in sacred psychology along with marketing and communications. Connie Marie, it's such a pleasure to have us to have you with us today, and we very much look forward to your talk. Thank you so much for the opportunity to present today. Uh, today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Keep in Touch program, which began at Volunteer Lethbridge just about two years ago as a COVID response program. The initial plan with the program was that people would call seniors, volunteers, and they would have a friendly chat. Well, based on the needs of seniors, the program has grown far beyond that. And we really basically offer emotional supports to seniors to decrease their isolation and loneliness, and also to help them find resources to improve their lives. For seniors, loneliness and isolation are not just a COVID issue. And so it's something that we believe really belongs uh, for the longer term. There are five community support programs that the program falls under. Basic needs, help for seniors, capacity for community services, mental health support, and support for volunteers. If I were to use three words to describe the success of the program, I believe it's volunteerism, collaboration, and low cost. So uh, the senior engagement and participation piece, it's actually a frontline one-on-one person-centered approach for seniors 60 plus. And of course, they're feeling isolated or require some additional support. We recruit volunteers and then we connect them to a senior and we try and do some background information as well to try and connect them based on interest and also the experience of our volunteers, particularly our senior volunteers that come often with medical, nursing backgrounds, uh, communications backgrounds, like depending what their personal experience has been as well. Seniors can call, register by calling us and just giving us their information and share when they would like to receive calls. And we always take the time for them to talk. So I do the majority of the intakes and some intakes take 10 minutes and some take an hour but we never rush them through the process. We wanna hear their story and why they feel they need support. Generally, our approach is trying to ensure that their basic needs are being met and that we provide that information to them so they can access community supports for the health and well-being. Less than 5%, in fact, probably closer to 2% of our seniors actually have access to technology. So we don't give them online resources. Everything we give them, we try and give them direct name calls so they have a contact to call and can get whatever it is that they need. 
uh, what we do is really we give them the gift of time. Next. We have many uh, community agencies that refer to the Keep in Touch program. In fact, the majority of our referrals come from social workers and mental health professionals in the community. Um, and this is a listing of those community agencies that refer to us. We also in, the, in Lethbridge have something that's new and unique that's been fabulous. It's called the Seniors Navigator System. And it actually is a system where I can call the lead senior navigator with a senior concern, especially when there is a home visit that we feel is required or some in-home support. I just make a direct referral to the senior navigator and then it's put into place that they would actually go out to the home, whereas we're a calling program. So our volunteers are only given the senior's phone number. They are never given information about where that senior lives, for example. We also do take family and friend referrals, but there's not as many of those for sure as there are referrals from the social workers that we work with. Next. So we hope that our program partners that work with us, we call them the Keep in Touch program partners, that we're providing additional support to them, especially this, those uh, social workers right now with overload, uh, significant caseloads based on COVID and the challenges seniors have had. So most of them are on overload and just kind of getting from client to client as fast as they can to cover the immediate needs. So we hope that the program really supports and enhances, gives that extra contact to a senior for the support that they might require. Next. We actually call the Keep in Touch program, uh, those of us who work with it, a movement rather than a program. And the reason we call it a movement is we don't volunteer Lethbridge. It's not something that volunteer Lethbridge we, sees itself as owning. Um, so one of the things that we did, we received funding for expansion to rural Alberta. And we did a pilot this year with five communities in Alberta, getting them on board to deliver a Keep in Touch program. What was required of those communities is that they signed a memorandum of understanding that basically made two main commitments on their side. We wanted them to use the Keep in Touch brand and the name, and we needed their reporting information as far as how many volunteers, how many seniors, how many parents have you made. So very basic information for us to continue to get funding. And then everything was developed for them. So we took the whole program that we developed, especially over the first year, and we were able to give them a toolbox where they would have the registration forms, the volunteer processes, social media and marketing, posts and information, a poster they could use, a postcard, whatever it was that they needed. So the Keep in Touch movement has expanded to these five areas, um, and you can see the list there. Neighborhood Link is an interesting one. Neighborhood Link is a nonprofit organization that was formed and it's actually 20 churches that contribute in their communities uh, to taking care of seniors. So they not only do a caller program, but they do in-home support. So just an example of some of our rural partners. So the reason that we were able to do this <clears throat> next, I guess we'll go to, um, was because uh, Volunteer Lethbridge was core funded by Alberta Mental Health and Addiction uh, to do this expansion. We also have funding for one position from Family and Community Support Services that explains a little bit about how the program is funded. The program in that expansion, I mentioned that collaboration was so important to our organization. 
we formed a partnership with Volunteer Lethbridge, the Rural Development Network and Canadian Mental Health. So very large groups that were able to bring together the program in a very short amount of time. Currently, we're actually seeking funding and donations for the program for continuation because our funding does end February 2022, and that's not that far away. So uh, we want to be able to continue to provide support not only to the seniors that we've been caring for and helping the last year and a half, but those the new ones that we get not daily, but we get you know new registrations every week. Next. One of the things that's true for all of you, I guess it's true for everyone, is that the world has changed and it'll never be the same. And yeah, uh, in this, especially for seniors, uh, I think that they, they've been dealing with this for a long time, but the last couple of years for them has really made some dramatic changes. Next. When we look at our frontline experience, uh, what we've noticed, especially in the fourth wave. So many of us are getting out. You know, you might be seeing your family a little bit now or meeting with small groups of friends or going out to a restaurant, but the seniors are not doing that yet that are in our caseload. The fourth wave has actually increased their uh, depression and anxiety. And so unfortunately, mental health issues have increased. This is the hardest time for them. So the calls that I do with seniors on a daily basis over the last couple of years, the last couple of months have definitely been the most difficult. Um, and the complexity and uncertainty that goes along with their life has actually increased their difficulty. You know, we've all moved to an online world and those that haven't are really being left in the dark. Basic services have been far too complicated to access and manage. And, and maybe some of you are finding that you're finding, you know, it's even keeping up with everything takes a lot of time. And if you're caring for senior parents or senior loved ones, uh, you know the uh, actual support that they require right now for some of the simple things, the vaccination proof that we have to have that just came out. We have so many of our participants that don't have friends or family that can help them do those things. And they're really struggling. Many can't get groceries. They can't do their banking without support. Uh, transportation, actually transportation is one of the number one issues. And with winter coming now, that's just on the, on the increase for sure. Low barrier is a barrier for some of our participants, but our, our program is not based on income. It's, it's all seniors that are open to access our services. So overall, the seniors are indicating they're feeling more depressed, um, anxiety, uh, they mention anxiety often, not important and unloved. Next. We had a presentation uh, recently for our volunteers by Gina Wassa, who's the mental health educator and RN with the Campbell Clinic. And she was addressing as part of her presentation, the doctor shortage that we're facing in well in the province but uh, very much in southern alberta lethbridge in southern alberta so this estimated 20,000 individuals without a general practitioner by the end of the year is real and she said that we have not yet really seen how dramatic of a, a change this will be for seniors she said now with the changes and the shortage in physicians clinics don't have the time to give clients the time that they need um, it's going to be a barrier as well because some of them 
you know, feel that they might be able to get service and support in more of the smaller rural communities, but that's not a reality. Uh, patient needs are sometimes being rushed. They've done labs, now have been centralized, which means the senior has to go, you know, to the hospital generally or to a different lab in order to get that done rather than it being done at the clinic. So there's too many places for them to go. So she really feels um, she works with seniors all day at the clinic. Um, and she said that many seniors leave the clinic feeling confused. They've tried to meet their basic needs at looking at their you know, physical conditions, but their mental health doesn't even get discussed. Hmm. Yep. So many seniors, I'm, I'm going to say, have gone silent. And so what's interesting is their needs are greater. That's what we're hearing from those that we do have connection with and can talk to. The needs are greater, but their senior, the senior participation is actually decreasing. This is a provincial trend at an age-friendly meeting, uh, provincial age-friendly meeting I attended a few weeks ago. That is a trend across the province. And again, they're looking at mental health issues and how uh, dramatic they actually could be. Many of our participants are living alone, so their social work is shrinking, family support is less as families become overwhelmed themselves with COVID. Those who own businesses, for example, there's just so much they have to do that they're actually able often to offer less support. And as I mentioned, so few are connected to technology. When I talk about our seniors and their stories, uh, I had a call from a senior today that has been uh, part of our program for a year and a half. And she called me because she had went to the doctor yesterday and found out she's terminal. Mm -hmm. So she, there's nothing more that they can do for her. But it was really interesting. She had called me because she was really concerned that now that she's terminal, her volunteer couldn't call her anymore. So she wanted to know what our policy was around calling her if she was terminal. And I let her know that not only was it not our policy not to call her, it was what we do is try and call them more. So the volunteer often takes gives, gives that senior more time, makes more calls, and then where I can fill in, I fill in as well. We have many seniors um, who have lost a spouse and are left alone. That seems to be a large part of our group. Many of which who have lost their spouse to cancer. That is, seems to be what's dominant. As well as mental health issues, other illnesses, and significant mobi mobility challenges. So many of the seniors that we have are uh, actually homebound or housebound, mostly housebound. No family nearby, or ruptured family relationships. It's interesting in difficult times how families often rupture more. Uh, one of the seniors said that her daughter lives a block away and she hasn't seen her in three years. A lot of our seniors have indicated, so some families have offered more support, but there's the other side. Some families have offered less support, uh, again, perhaps due to their own COVID overwhelm or lack of time or just feeling that, well, maybe it's not a safe thing to do. Seniors, we also find, are very reluctant to tell the truth to family members when they're struggling, especially when they're older and at home alone. Um, they don't want to move out of their home. They're not going to share with their family anything that's going to have the family talking to them about moving. 
there's an increasing need for support to understand and manage finances, and we definitely see that. Um, and the most basic need that's hardest to access is food. And this one just amazes me, how we could live where we do with having the abundance that we have. And yet one of the hardest parts for seniors is just to get the groceries from the store into their home. I had a senior who called because he was discharged from the hospital after a kidney surgery, actually. And he was unable to do much other than get to the washroom. Uh, he had home care four times a day. And he had no food in the house. And this was during the time, like the food banks have changed their regulations some now due to COVID, but this was the time when uh, the actual, uh, you had to give your income in order to access food. And they had indicated to him his income was too high. He said, this isn't about my income. I don't have any friends or family that I could ask to get groceries for me and I don't have any food in the house. Mm -hmm. So the executive director of VL and I went to the food bank and we did create an emergency uh, food uh, agreement with the food bank so that when we have seniors that we know are in that situation, for whatever reason that they don't have food, that we can get it to them within a day or so. Next. So this, this is actually a stock photo, but I have to tell you, um, this stock photo reminded me so much of a participant I met a year and a half ago that came into the program. She came down to the volunteer Lethbridge office and she could hardly walk. She was waiting for knee surgery and she could hardly walk. And I happened to be going out the door, even though the office was closed, she was going out, or I was going out the door, she was coming in. And she said to me that she wanted to be a part of the program, so we brought her into the program. She called me in this August and she said, I, I think I need some help, dear. Everything is dear, dear. I think I need some help, dear. She's, and this was in August, so you remember what the summer was like this year, like the, the weather was hot. She said, well, my air conditioner doesn't work. My stairwell railing to the basement fell off, so I can't get downstairs to get to the freezer or the washer and dryer, and my TV is not working. So here we have it, a COVID crisis for sure. Uh, it's one of those examples where we were able to refer her to the senior navigators and they could actually go into the home and they found handyman service um, that could actually give her some assistance and get things working again. Um, because to be in that situation with those three, three things not working, it, it really was a mental health issue at that point. Next. So our volunteers break the silence by keeping in touch um, and they help to normalize experiences by acknowledge the senior stress and how hard it is to navigate the world right now. And we all know even for us, you know, those of us that even being at home and working all the time and, and being in the house all the time, if something goes wrong, it seems so much bigger right now. And for them, that's, that's part of what uh, actually feeds their depression and their anxiety as well is just the aloneness and, and how they need some support in, in knowing that, you know, what's good and, and what they can do differently and where they can get some help rather than just kind of reeling in that place by themselves. Volunteers take the time to ask about the best parts of their life and, and to help them feel valuable and important. And they all love to st share stories about their children and also about their career. That's one of my favorite things to ask them 
when I do an intake, if they're not very chatty, it's always wonderful to ask them about the career and, and what they did in their life uh, to get them talking. So through the sharing and, and the good things, we, we very much listen to their stories of loss and try and support them as they share that story. But also they get to brag and give us advice, especially some of our younger volunteers have indicated that often there's just as much benefit for them in actually talking to the senior as there is that hopefully that they're giving the senior through that experience of having that friendly call. Next. So our volunteers, they call to report concerns about their senior uh, when they're unable to get hold of their senior for two weeks. This is one example. And then we do everything we can to locate them. So I had one uh, that was brought to me a couple weeks ago. They called, bring all of these forward to me. And I called the senior, tried to get hold of him for a couple of days, and I finally did get hold of him, and he could hardly speak. And he actually was in the hospital with COVID, and he did have his cell phone with him. And so I talked to him a little bit, and he was very frightened. He said he was being well taken care of, but he had no family or friends. Yeah, he, uh, so he was really struggling. I called him back. I told him I would call him every couple of days, which we do when uh, with any of the seniors that we've had that have had COVID. And I called him and I could not get hold of him. And so it, and I was very concerned because you could tell by his, his voice and his breathing that he wasn't doing well. I did get hold of him a week after and he had improved. He was still in the hospital, but he had improved. He actually will come, uh, not come home from the hospital. The last time I talked to him, he's going to be moving into a care home. So that's another time when we try and, again, continue to provide support as they go through that process of having to transition into a care home. We continue to talk to them. And again, we, help, we can help them with resources as far as packing and assistance and things like that as well. We, we have those listings resources available for them. Volunteers, they also report serious changes that their senior may share during their calls or they notice through their conversation um, by listening closely to what they weren't managing in their lives. We had a senior that called in that was really troubled because he had mice uh, in his house and he was, he was very, very troubled by that. And the more that the volunteer kind of inquired, uh, it seemed to get much worse. The numbers that he was finding and when he shared the numbers, that he was actually finding um, during the day, um, the volunteer was actually really concerned. And so it was one of those that we referred to a navigator and had a home visit done and it was a, a serious infestation. So sometimes it was again, just listening closely to how he was describing how he was managing and in this case was not managing and we were allowed to get in, in that support. We also support through the end of life um, and we have lost participants for sure, but we offer that support again, not only does the volunteer increase the support, we also staff, uh, myself mostly actually, call them as well to increase their support during that time. Next. So I, what we hope is that the program, the Keep in Touch program brings some hope as well. I am not going to talk to you a lot about outcomes. There are two outcomes that are most important to me and the team. And the first is how many support calls we actually deliver in the community. Uh, from April 2020 to September 2021, we delivered 1,787 calls. 
Um, and this is where the low cost of the program becomes the feature because those calls and that time is delivered by volunteers. These costs could never be absorbed to offer this support to seniors through any of our systems. We've done 169 total pairings of senior and volunteers. And I like to think of it, we've created 169 relationships. And um, there is some coming and going, some of our volunteers, of course, leave the program, some of our seniors pass away. Very often, seniors do not leave the program unless they make a move or something. So that's not something that generally happens, but gives you an idea of what we're doing. Next. The other most important piece that I want to share with many of you on this call that, that I know are seniors is we love seniors to be able to join the program and call other seniors. And that is because that's what our participants want. They love to work or to share <clears throat> their life with someone older who understands the stories, has had some of the same experiences. To become a volunteer, uh, actually Karen Sparks is our volunteer coordinator and you can call her directly. Uh, you can see the uh, email and the number there. You can call her directly and she will actually do the application with a senior if you're not feeling comfortable to do the online application. Uh, but and as well, you can do an online application. So you have two options. The only thing we do, we do require to become a volunteer is we require that you use email. And the reason for that is because we have to do all the reporting and everything. And as you can imagine, with the number of pairings that we have that we report on, if we report on a monthly basis, we collect that data. It would be very difficult to collect data by phone to call, have to call all of our volunteers. So we just wouldn't have the capacity to do that. So that's why we need you to be able to use an email. But you can, you can make a big difference. And we're always, right now, we have been in a consistent waiting list with our seniors. So we really are in need of senior volunteers. If you have that hour a week, that you could spare. The onboarding process, I'm not going to say it's easy. It's uh, you know a little bit complex itself. We use a similar onboarding process to what Big Brothers and Big Sisters does because we work with a vulnerable population. But uh, we do do that um, as well, bring you through that process or take your hand through that process. So I would like to leave you with a few thoughts on supporting aging loved ones. And I called it my guidance moments for families. So this could be because you are a senior yourself and I'll give you some ideas of what you can share with your family or perhaps you're taking care of aging parents and want some ideas. I think the first is to show up and I'm going to say bring them flowers or dinner because you're never too old to appreciate someone cooking for you. I actually lost my sister this year um, who was a senior and I used to get to Calgary once or twice a month to visit with her. I called her every day at 12 o'clock the last year of her life. And what became my visits with her became Flower Fridays because I always brought her flowers and always came on a Friday. And it was one of the most special parts of her life. She talked about Flower Fridays the last day before we lost her. So it became a really important thing even though it was so simple. Um, see things as they really are, not how you think they should be, especially towards the end of life. Um, it's just, everything is so unpredictable and we don't know how it's going to go. Let your loved ones have the power of choice unless they're at risk. 
um, especially if they're at risk medically or there's something that they really need that they cannot do or they cannot pay for. Be their idea initiators. So remember, they may have lost their capacity to begin something. You might be saying, well, do this, do this, do this, do this, and they might not be able to do it. Don't do what you really don't want to do or have the patience to do for them. Um, I look at services as being a huge part of this. You know, often I, we, I took care of my mom and dad. We supported them for about 15 years, and now we support my in-laws who are housebound, and my father-in-law actually has advanced Alzheimer's as well. And what I've learned is they don't want to pay for anything. <laughs> so I think that is partially generational, but uh, my dad used to fire the housekeeper at least once every couple months because he didn't want to pay her anymore. And then she'd call me and say, your dad fired me. And I said, okay, I'll go talk to him. We'll see you next week again. So really find out if finances are a barrier, if it's just they don't want to spend money. Um, the last few things that I'd like to share with you is to be their voice. The epidemic has changed their world and escalated ageism, uh, defined as uh, discrimination against the elderly. Hear their voice. It's, it's important to just talk to them. Don't keep telling them what to do when they will not listen or are incapable of change. Sometimes health crisis is the only thing that can bring about change. Take special care of you when you're taking care of them. Listen and watch closely to what they're not managing or not telling you. And remember that the greatest gift you can give them is the gift of time. And those of you out there who are seniors, please remember advocacy right now is critical and our voice needs to be around seniors' needs and the impact that all of these changes are bringing into their lives. We can create communities where it's possible to overcome loneliness. Uh, the next slide or the last slide is we look ahead to 2022 um, as a year where we're able to bring support to more seniors and grow the Keep in Touch community. Thank you very much for that presentation. Um, wow, very powerful, very emotional actually. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, we already have questions in the queue, so I'm going to jump right in if that's okay with you, Connie Marie. Our, yeah. first, our first question comes from Knut Peterson. Thank you very much, Connie Marie, for telling us about the Keep in Touch program. What kind of privacy issues can sometimes be a limiting factor when it comes to helping seniors in need? Uh, privacy issues are definitely a factor and we one of the biggest challenges we've had is we have some uh, volunteers and seniors that have been paired for a year and a half they want to meet each other and unfortunately we've had to look at privacy and our insurance regulations because we are not social workers and in a caller program our volunteers are not professionals and so we have had to come up with an actual policy a statement where they're not allowed to meet uh, we try and get around some of those privacy issues. It puts a little more responsibility on staff. So I, when I have examples are if I have a, a senior that really wants to thank a volunteer or do something, uh, we have had an example again of a uh, participant that was terminal and wanted to send her volunteer flowers. <laughs> kind of a reverse situation. But um, then I try and manage those things or else uh, Karen who 
is our volunteer coordinator as well. We manage those things so that we allow that gift to occur or that thanks to occur, but we don't um, cross over any of those privacy boundaries. Also, the only thing, again, our volunteers have is the senior's phone number and their calls are blocked and the seniors realize when those calls come to them, the call is blocked so that the seniors are not calling the volunteers at other times. Um, Laurie Schultz, in recent years, the UK government established a Ministry of Loneliness. It is time... Wow. Is it time that such a ministry, and then in brackets, federally or provincially, is it time that such a ministry is established in Alberta or in Canada? Are you aware of any advocacy for such a ministry? Actually, no, and what a great idea. And no, not only are we not aware of any advocacy, um, we actually uh, did a, I did a, this summer, I had a summer student that helped me do some research on the programs in the community that actually address loneliness. Um, and it's in those that are housebound, and they're very, very few, very, very, very few. Um, so that would be just a, a wonderful suggestion. And I, I believe it is time, and it's interesting, maybe more in this community perhaps than other communities because we have so many seniors uh, because of the size of our community and how easy access is and things like that. Our seniors have a tendency to stay in their homes alone longer. And so I believe it would be just a great option for this community to look at something like this um, to, and, and begin that here. Our next question comes from Mark Goodall. What are the legal implications? Do you require insurance for possible liability problems that may arise? Well, we don't require any specific insurance because as again, we have very strong protocols, um, especially in recruiting our volunteers. As I mentioned, we use the same kind of a recruitment process as what they use with children's vulnerable sector. So we follow all the senior vulnerable, vulnerable sector guidelines. And then again, our protocols are very, very strict. Ian Hurdle, what agencies do you team up with for needed services? So for needed services, that uh, was the listing of our community partners. Uh, so LSCO would be the main one that we partner up with and Norbridge would be another one. We also, uh, we do get information, so the Primary Care Network, for example, they have a list of uh, services and resources that they have vetted and that they use, um, and we have some vetted listing of resources as well. So we uh, ensure that our resources are uh, not only reputable, but we try and do as well. We don't refer to only one resource giving the senior always the power of choice. So if we find two services or three services in the community that do the same, let's say they're looking for companion care or something like that in the private sector, we provide them with some suggestions, but again, we provide them with more than one suggestion, suggesting to them it's very important that they you know, check themselves and that they make their own choice around that. And we're very careful around that. Again, we don't have our volunteers 
um, generally sharing information on different resources with our seniors. They call uh, us, they call the staff, they call myself or Karen, and then we provide that information just to make sure that it is an appropriate referral even to a private service or a resource in the community. Our next question comes from Leona Jacobs. What are the age demographics of your volunteers and of your participants? Our age demographic, that's a good question. I wish I knew exactly what it was, but I'm not sure. Um, I do know they go, we have a couple who are in uh, care homes, senior care homes that are younger. So we have a couple in their 40s, uh, but the majority would be it's actually, it's kind of changing a little bit. The majority were generally between 70 and 90, but what we're finding now is we're getting younger seniors. We're getting seniors in their 60s. Um, so we do have a larger group now of younger seniors. So it's a pretty broad, pretty broad demographic generally. And, and it, for our volunteers, uh, of course, we've moved a little bit towards uh, for focusing more of our marketing on recruiting to seniors themselves, but we have younger volunteers and we do get good volunteers as well from the university who students that might be in their third or fourth year in social work or uh, actually in we also look to the college for those that are studying to become LPNs or in the nursing program. So we do access students in that way as well. Lena, Leona Jacobs has a second question. What are the age demographics? No, I read that one. Sorry. You mm -hmm. mentioned you mentioned end of life. How exactly do you support end of life? How do we support end of life? Uh, just by still making that call and making that connection. Uh, we try and help our volunteers. Again, if they're not wanting to do that, that definitely is something that they look to their own experience and choices, whether they want to continue to make those calls. And if not, then I make those calls. And we actually uh, just have those conversations, those caring conversations with them. Uh, so again, uh, we would direct them to social worker if required. Uh, that's generally what we do. It's actually, well, for those of you who have been through the end of life with those that you love, it's more about just listening than it is about talking to them. It's more about just listening to what they want to share, what they need to say. Um, that's, yeah, it's, there's a lot less, I guess, suggestions, definitely not suggestions of around what to do. It's just, just hearing them and and having someone let them know that they care about them. Laurie Schultz, thank you for, share, for sharing information about this vital program. You've mentioned a number of gaps for seniors and services. What would you like to see happen to minimize or remove those gaps? I believe that one of the things that that would benefit, because the seniors navigator system has worked well, so here we have a group of social workers that are senior population specialists, and that I believe has really uh, sh taken away that uh, senior having to 
figure out things for themselves and know where to call or how to get support or what to do. So I believe an increased resources for that senior navigator system would be really, really helpful. Their social workers, again, are just overwhelmed with the size of their caseloads. And so we often catch the gaps and then they have the resources that are needed in order to go in and, and do everything from applications, paperwork with the seniors to get what they need, um, to get the in-home support, the housekeeping, the home care, the connection to home care. All of those can happen with those senior navigators, but there's just not enough mm. of them uh, to meet the need. Our next question comes from Knud Peterson. Virtual reality technology arguably has unlimited potential. A good friend of mine who's 94 years old and quite healthy gets much pleasure from such technology. Any thoughts on use of that technology, the virtual reality? For virtual reality? Um, I, I can't really speak to that. It's, it's not an area that I'm that familiar with. Um, what I do know is our seniors, I could count on one hand the number of seniors we have in our caseload that even use emails. So again, in this area, I think it's partially this area. It seems to be that technology is less used than it is in other communities. So it would be great if we could create something that they could use more easily. If with all the technology knowledge out there, um, you know, whether it's virtual reality or what it is, something that's simpler and something that's larger, you know, even when you think about a cell phone and the capability of a cell phone or an iPad or what we hear continuously is that most often the access to technology is the mobility and the inability to use a cell phone or to use a keyboard or to use. Uh, so it just amazes me that someone hasn't come up with something that's large um, that a senior can, uh, whose fingers don't allow them to do what they used to do, that they could actually use something. My, uh, my aunt and uncle in Holland, um, when COVID started, they got their daughter, so my cousin, bought them a, a kind of tablet, kind of, but it was completely created for seniors. And yeah. it's, it's fascinating. So if I, I can now speak with them, but I had to log into this whole program. It's very unique. It's very simple from a user end. And I wonder if that would be a great thing to introduce to Canada. I think this is just Holland only in, uh -huh. in the Netherlands. But do you know if there's anything that is going on either on Leftbridge in terms of teaching seniors more access to very simple basic technology like that that would be great if the technology was more basic so i do know that lsco received a grant and they actually could take ipads out in the community and teach seniors how to use them and um, they actually uh, what they discovered was that the seniors still could not pick up so that particular technology they didn't have the amount of time to invest in each senior to get them using that technology. And I know care homes have experienced the same, many of them, um, that it's been difficult to bring the senior to the technology and have them be able to utilize it because they require that assistance so long 
for that process. So I love your idea, Annalise, that there has to be something simpler out there that would allow them to do some of the basics that wouldn't involve such a long teaching process. Our next question comes from Leona Jacobs. So the contact is based on telephone. How does one navigate the issue of hearing loss when it comes to talking on the phone? And then in brackets, my experience is talking to my mother on the phone. Uh, and that definitely is a challenge. And so we, it's very difficult for us to support the hearing impaired. Uh, we do have a couple of clients that, that have reduced hearing, but of course at a certain level, it would be very, very difficult to support. We have one that of our participants that has uh, significant hearing loss and she does use email. So, and that's very helpful. So again, I think often I know that they used to do um, a lot of programs for, there's an example of where technologies do exist, either in this, for the sight impaired or hearing impaired, where they would have their own equipment or could work around that. But it's something as a program, just generally, if someone is hard of hearing, it's very difficult for them to be part of the caller program, unless they want to be contacted by email. Mark Goodall, would it be possible to, for volunteers to communicate to communicate via FaceTime or WhatsApp, etc., if the seniors wanted to or and slash were capable to do so? Uh, we do that on an individual basis, so we have done that with a couple of our participants. Again, this does connect to privacy issues, um, so it's something we're very cautious about. But we have had, uh, we had a uh, long-term pairing, so a senior and a volunteer that had been connected for quite some time, and the volunteer was going to be away on vacation for uh, a longer period of time and asked if she could actually FaceTime uh, while she was out of the country, and, and we did allow that. But we do all of those, again, based on privacy on a one-on-one -on -one basis, looking at the relationship, how long they've been paired, um, and just to ensure that there would be safety in that happening. Laura Schultz, any idea who might fund the senior navigator positions? Are you aware of any municipal, provincial or federal agencies whose mandate might fit to fund such critical positions? They're actually funded by right now by the City of Lethbridge Family and Community Support Services in our area, and that is actually who set up, came up with the initial program, um, and it's just that it's it's just doesn't have enough bodies, <laughs> it's, yeah, just doesn't have enough uh, enough staff. But definitely, the system is new and it's it's wonderful, it's working, but there needs to be more dollars allocated to that system. Mm -hmm. Knut Peterson, the COVID pandemic has caused a lot of the loneliness we see today. Do you see the loneliness becoming less of an issue when the pandemic presumably is over sometime and then in brackets, hopefully soon? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I hope so as well. Um, I, I, I hope, I do really do hope that the loneliness will be less of an issue without COVID at the level that it is currently. Um, but we also, again, we, we really are kind of grateful that it's drawn some attention to those that are lonely and especially those that are, are housebound. So again, I, I still believe it needs some, you know, it still needs programming. It still needs to be 
an issue that's at the forefront for seniors, um, an area where we can offer support. Uh, I, there will always be those that will need that support as mobility, especially as their mobility changes or their cognitive changes. Being housebound is not new, uh, and COVID has just drawn a lot of attention to it. Mm -hmm. um, I know in your presentation you said that, that uh, the uh, seniors using technology, other than the telephone, so computers or iPhones, was only at about 2%. Um, have you seen an uptake of that during COVID, that people have been more forced to learn that technology, to be able to communicate with friends, family, and, 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 and still keep some social connection? That's very difficult for us to assess. So the only way that I could assess that is when I ask a senior when I do an intake is whether or not they have email. Well, it, it's really interesting because what happens with most seniors, even if they have it, they don't give it. <laughs> so it's an indication, I guess, that yes, they probably do have email, but they don't want to give it out. But generally, I, that's not what I hear when I'm doing intakes. It's very rare <laughs> that I have a senior that has email. Okay. Um, Laurie Schultz, while this is somewhat out of scope, but your bio mentioned you've taught, you've taken training in sacred psychology. Would you share with, with this, would you share what this area of study entails? Um, so sacred psychology, uh, I trained with a sacred psychologist over a number of years. And at that time, it, it's something that is not mainstream, of course. Um, they actually only have two sacred psychology programs at that time. They only had two in the world. One was in San Diego and one is, was in England. And so she used to come to this community. There were actually a large group of us that she would come and do workshops with five or six times a year. Really, uh, when I look at sacred psychology, there's many, many parts to it. There's so many different areas that they study. But I believe what the value of it was, was uh, everything was getting together with people and kind of looking at their life and how we can be support, you know, how you can support one another. It was non-denominational, so there was no, there was a connection to faith, but no connection to a particular faith. And the greatest gift that it gave me was the ability to deal with the unexpected and also to uh, be open to the unexpected that comes at the end of life. So it, it just, it, it made, I believe that was my, what I took from it more than anything was how to, what to do when there's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. As COVID has continued on and probably will continue on, um, I know you shared some of your statistics. Do you, has it has your program gotten busier as COVID has dragged on? Have you noticed that more and more seniors are reaching out as this just continues? Uh, actually, the opposite. So we've seen mm. a de we still have registrations, but we um, still have seen a decline in the number of seniors that are registering compared to at the beginning of COVID. Oh wow. Okay, that's it for the questions in the queue. So um, before we end today's session, do you have a take home message for us? 
I was thinking about that. I, I thank you for asking. Uh, I am really concerned about the many seniors that have gone silent now. And so I would ask that we all make getting seniors support uh, a louder issue together. Like we, we need to have a strong voice and, and make some noise <laughs> because they're, you know, they have disappeared and there is no greater need than those that don't have um, even the ability to speak anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just actually going to put up your slide with the contact information if people want to become a volunteer. Um, oh, yes, thank you. Yeah, while well, I read out uh, Leona Jacobs' comment, I live at a distance from my mother, who's aged 97. I have kept her off email and then in brackets, we message instead because of the issue of scams and phishing. Um, do you want to comment on that just while I leave this slide up so people can jot down um, how to volunteer for this? Uh, all I can share with you is my personal experience. So I have been in the program almost two years and we've had 167 pairings and uh, have not had a complaint nor an incidence of scamming uh, in our pro- in, in, uh, from our seniors. I'm not speaking specifically for the program, but it's not anything that has ever been reported to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Leona was more sort of commenting regarding, I sorry, my mic was off. I think Leona was more commenting about email in general, you know, and how, uh-huh. how difficult that they can be. Actually, uh-huh. um, there's one more question came in from Knut Peterson. Have you reached out uh, to the religious community to keep in, read the Keep in Touch program? As I'm sure many of those groups probably have some some similar programs. Yes, and thank you for the suggestion. And yes, they do. So we have reached out, and many of them do run their own programs, so, mm-hmm. which is great. Which is uh, so we have done that from a recruitment perspective, and that would be a good way to recruit vol- senior volunteers. But many of them, in fact, the majority of them, offer their own caller programs there amidst their congregations. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Laurie Schultz. Thank you, Connie Marie, Mark Goodall. Many thanks for an excellent program and presentation from, from Mark Goodall. On behalf of SACPA, thank you very much for joining us today, Connie Marie. And Thank you. Uh, yeah, and for the viewers out there, please join us next week with Jacqueline Peterson, Feeling the Squeeze, Provincial Cuts, Municipal Impacts. And that is next Thursday at noon. And thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Bye-bye.